Welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people, the whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit. We are now addressed by the living God, the living Lord, through his living word. But godliness with great contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us here this morning. Give us your Holy Spirit now to illumine the word of God to us, that we would know you better, be formed and reformed into the image of Christ, that we would know his welcome by grace through what he's done on the cross for us. Do a good work now, we pray, Jesus, in your name and for your sake. Amen. You can be seated. One of the most successful coaches in professional basketball, the NBA, National Basketball Association, and executives over the past few decades is a guy named Pat Riley. So in total, between playing, assistant coaching, coaching, and general managing, He has more championship rings than anybody else. He has nine rings. So he won a number of championships coaching the Los Angeles Lakers, also assistant coach and player for winning rings there. He didn't win a championship when he coached the New York Knicks, but was successful by Knicks standards during during that period. Sorry, Angel. And then also he was both a coach and an executive when the Miami Heat won championships there too. And over the years, he's reflected upon winning in various ways. And one of the things that he said, multiple contexts, is that the biggest threat to continued winning and success for a team or for an organization is not the competition. It's not other teams, other players, what is happening out there. But he says that the number one threat to continued winning and success is the disease of more. That's what he calls it. The disease of more. He says, once a team wins, the danger is there for the disease of more to take effect. When you have a team that was playing all together, very unified, team basketball, beautiful game, all that stuff, but then the players start to say, but what about me? I am greedy for a little bit more. What about my stats? What about my money? What about my contract? What about my recognition? What about my ads, 
my sponsorships, my influence? What about my accolades? What about my awards? What about my better lifestyle that I could live in if I had that little bit more for me? He says, once that takes root in a team or an organization, things are going to start to fall apart. So ironically, within every winning team or organization are already sown the seeds of their own destruction because of the disease of more. But then Pat Riley, the coaching executive, has also gone on to say the disease of more is in all of us. Not just teams, not just organizations, but it's in all of us. And for you, where might your disease of more be? Or if I just have more this, I'm going to be great. Talking about greed, one of the seven deadly sins here this morning. Kathleen was talking about it earlier as liturgist. If I just had more this, I am set, I am good, but I don't have it right now, therefore I'm greedy for more. What's your more? How do you fill that in? Is it more looks or likes or fun or friends or stuff or money? I need more. We kind of bounce back in a couple different places when we think about greed and needing more. A lot of the time we can think, well, it's no big deal. It's just normal to want more. It's normal to be a little bit greedy. Everybody is. But then we can turn around, whether you're here this morning as a Christian or a religious skeptic or you're not sure where you are with spiritual things. On the other hand, you might realize also that greed is incredibly shaping it twists you. It warps you in incredibly unhelpful ways. And it blocks our ability to love God and love other people. But then again, greed, needing more, 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 that might be a little bit of a boring sin. Sure. It's just there it happens. But in contemporary language, Surely there is a point after which, for example, when I say, well, right now I need to take care of myself, when that becomes selfish. There's a line. I don't know where exactly it is. But yeah, should you take care of yourself? Is that a good thing? Of course it is. But often there's also a crossing point where it becomes selfish. And we become greedy for more in different ways. Or again, wouldn't we agree that greed cripples our world? It does. Let's admit that the problem is not just out there. And let's, with the power of the Holy Spirit here this morning, dream a little bit about how we might change. So talking about greed here this morning from 1 Timothy Chapter 6, this is Paul writing to Timothy. Paul, a first-generation church planter, writing to Timothy, his son in the faith, a writing to a second-generation church planter towards the end of his first letter when he talks about some of these things, rich and greed and all that stuff. We'll do it in three parts from here. Greed, 
finding, and then also we're going to expose it, and then we're going to uproot. So finding, exposing, uprooting. And it's a little bit like I was talking about with gluttony last week in this way, where when we think about gluttony, it's food forward, but not just food. So when we overindulge, food often is a culprit, but then there's a lot of other sorts of overindulgences. Similarly for greed, let's agree that it's money forward. More often than not, when we're greedy, it's for the greenbacks. We just need more of these things. But we can be greedy for more than that at the same time. The likes and the looks, the fun and the friends, the stuff. And then sooner or later, maybe it just gets back to money. And Paul says about money, and if you have a lot of money, be warned. But then also, if, even if you don't have a lot of money, but you want more money too much, be warned about the controlling influence that money exerts. Last two verses of our text. But those who desire to be rich, desire to be rich, not necessarily those in the top X percent. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Greed, and especially greed for money, is like a doorway or a route that opens you up to a lot of different things sins. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, popularly, and preachers will say, in contemporary parlance or through the centuries, the phrase comes to us, money is the root of all evil, comes from this verse, although more specifically, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And you might think, well, greed, greed that's no big deal. But maybe it is. And John Cassian was an early church monk that I talked about last week who was one of the early developers of this taxonomy or list of sins. I want to read you a little bit about how John Cassian talks about how read is dangerous for monks. And this is probably the most monkish information that you'll take in this week. And it's a little bit quaint to talk about challenges in the monastery, but also I think it's very descriptive of how greed grows. John Cassian, 300s into the 400s AD. Greed conjures up in a monk's mind a picture of old age and bodily illness. If you're greedy, you think towards end of life. And it persuades him that the necessities of life provided by the monastery are insufficient to sustain a healthy man, much less an ill one, that in the monastery, the sick, instead of receiving proper attention, are hardly cared for at all. And that unless he has some money tucked away, he will die a miserable death. So Cassian is talking to other monks. If you're greedy for money, you're going to think about how you're just never going to have enough and you're going to die miserably. But then he goes on. When, when with thoughts like these and has seduced his mind with the idea of concealing any sum, however trifling, it persuades him to learn, unknown to the abbot, some handicraft through which he can increase his cherished hoardings. So he's saying, if monks are greedy for money, they're going to start some side hustles to try to make a little bit more so that they can get a little bit more money and keep it hidden from the rest of the monastery and deny their vow of poverty that they've taken. So if any of you are like shopping on Etsy stores from Monk Bob, 
you might wonder if something's going on there. But it snowballs from there. Then it deceives the wretched monk with secret expectations, making him imagine what he will earn from his handicraft and the comfort and security which will result from it. So greed, money, deceiving, craving comfort and security. Now completely over, given over to the thought of gain, he notices none of the evil passions which attack him. It's not just a little bit of a side hustle. Because coming into the picture are things like his raging fury when he happens to sustain a loss, his gloom and dejection when he falls short of the gain he hoped for. Just trying to make a little extra on the side because they need a little bit more. But that opens the barn door for gloom, dejection, raging fury. And in another place, John Cassian says, here's some more fruit of what happens when you're greedy. It can so easily cause things like laziness, anger, jealousy, secrecy, gossip, insolence. It is all there. And going back to this root idea once again, there is an idolatry at play when we can think, and this is especially true if you're a follower of Jesus, when we'll think to ourselves, hey, wait a second, God, you are not enough. We know that God should be, but then we're like, actually, I'm not so sure. The beginning verse of our passage for this morning, godliness with content is great gain, and we'll think, no, I just want to gain some other stuff instead. And it's been said when we think about idols, when we give ourselves and our hearts over to things besides God to worship these things, there are a few different lists out there from different thinkers about various base idols. And the base idols will tend to include things like power and control and comfort and fear and need for recognition and approval. So power, comfort, control, fear, approval. In so many different ways, our greed serves one or more of these idols. If I just have a little bit more, then I'll have more power, at least relative to the person next to me. I'll be able to control my life a little bit more. I'll have a little bit more comfort. I'll be a little bit less anxious all the time. I'll be recognized as a little bit better than I am. What is your more? Do you see in your own life, one way or another, how greed for a little bit more is this pernicious doorway into bigger sins and larger patterns? What is your more? And we're probably greedier than we realize. One exercise, and we should do this as we relate to people that are different than who we are, Spend some time and build some real friendships and relationships with people that have less than you do. That'll show you real quick, wow, I actually am a lot more greedy than I previously realized. While at the same time, for a lot of us, a lot of the time, greed can look and feel like a civilized sin. We can mask it. We can stay quiet. It just happens over here in the dark. And like I said earlier, we bounce back and forth between thinking about greed for money and more, that disease of more. It's a problem. It's not a problem. In a lot of ways, that challenge has been there forever. So wisdom from the ancient world in the Greco-Roman direction, Antigone, the old play by Sophocles, there's a character that says there, there is nothing in the world so demoralizing as money. There is nothing in the world so demoralizing as money. 
But as we careen further and further and further into the late modern West, there is a thinker that I read over 10 years ago who made the point that so many aspects in our lives today that used to have not so much to do with money now have to do with money. This is what he said. And in the desire for wealth and for whatsoever temporal goods... That's the wrong quote. I accidentally deleted it. (laughs) In a last minute change this morning. That's okay. So, but what this guy was saying was there are a lot of different aspects that didn't used to be super money related. Things like healthcare. It's a big money issue now. And entertainment where, yeah, everybody just kind of does about the same sorts of entertainment things. Everybody goes to the Jersey Shore for a little while, but entertainment vacation hugely scaled towards money in ways that, yeah, used to be everybody, you know, or a lot more people could afford average vacations and the vacation bandwidth for people was, we all kind of did similar things, give or take. I know that's a generalization, but now there's a huge range. Or reproduction, you know, if you struggle with infertility and the more money you have in resources, the, the, the more steps you can take to try to have a baby. But, but if you don't have the money, you can't. So reproduction didn't used to be a money thing. Now it is. And so in all of these sports, used to be on basic broadcast TV. If you don't have the right packages, you can't see the sports. And notice how sports is becoming increasingly modified and commoditized, where you're not just watching the game, but you're gambling on the game, and you're buying memorabilia and stuff related to the game. So it used to be about enjoying your sporting event. Now it's about how do I capitalize and spend money on these things? So if you look at your life, there are a lot of different areas that now have a money component to them that you didn't used to have that component to it. It's everywhere. And so if we see dollar signs on so many different aspects of our lives, we cannot escape greed. It just feels normal, and we keep limping along. So that's finding some greed. Let's expose it a little bit more. This is true of every sin, including the sin of greed. Sin lives in the dark. Sin loves the dark. But bring it to the light. Expose it. Walk in the light of Jesus. That was from our sermon passage from last week. And we get some very helpful reality checks in this passage. Verse 7. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. Do you remember when you were born, and it came with a lot of stuff that you brought into the world? It didn't work that way. You came with nothing. And then the old preacher adages. I've said these before in sermons, but they're fun to say again. Uh, Preachers used to say, funeral suits don't have pockets. U-Hauls don't follow hearses. And so on. We're reminded, you're so greedy for stuff, and so am I now, but you can't take it with you. Or the next verse, and this is the verse 8, the creation horizon coming back in a little bit more. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. So if you're somebody that lives in genuine deprivation, that's a thing. That's really, really hard. So from a creation horizon perspective, needing basic things is good. Don't feel guilty about that. Live into that. 
Ask for help here in our church or faith community. If, if you need help with that stuff, let us help you. That's really important. But be very careful of how that creation, creation horizon trips into the fallen horizon. Where instead of saying, I have enough, I'm content, we'll say instead, I need more, I need more, I need more. And as a church, we constantly need to grow in compassion for people that don't have enough. Understanding that as we succumb to the disease of more, it's never going to be enough. It's never going to be enough. Thomas Aquinas was a Middle Ages theologian, not known for being super practical, but actually had some really practical observations about greed. He said at one point this, In the desire for wealth and whatsoever temporal goods, when we already possess them, we despise them and seek others. Medieval language there. He says, think about what you really, really want, whether it's money or something else. And oftentimes, you want it incredibly much, but then when you get it, you're like, next? That doesn't satisfy you. You're on to more so easily. So we are burning with desire to get X. But as we expose our greed, once we get X, it never delivers what you want it to deliver. Thomas goes on to say, the reason of this is that we realize more their insufficiency when we possess them. When you get it, that's when you realize it's not enough. And that very fact shows that they are imperfect, and sovereign good does not consist therein. All the stuff you want, living under a God that created all things, they are never designed to completely satisfy you. That's when, once you get them, they never completely satisfy you because it's not what it's designed for, and it never was. Or coming into the more modern period, there are so many different sorts of statistics out there that illustrate our greed in different ways. Just to give you a little bit of the entire greed menu, are Americans generous with their money? No. We give 1% as a nation, 1% plus between 1% and 2%. That's what we give charitably, donations, churches, etc. But for the most part, we keep all of it. We're very good at piling up debt, however. That, that, that's something that, that we're super good at. And then in addition to that, don't think that, well, if I had more money, I'd be more generous. Years ago, there was a study of super rich, uh, people with $1 billion or more. I've mentioned this in sermons before, too. There was a study of the super rich, and they were asked, how much more money, if, if you're not completely content and feel secure right now, and they all said I'm not completely content and I don't feel super secure, with $1 billion, they were asked, how much more money do you think you need when you can finally stop worrying about money? And the average answer was a quarter more. So these are billionaires that are saying, if I just get another $250 million, then I'll be okay. So your more is never going to be enough. And also, don't wait to be generous until later. People that have less money are actually more generous with their money than people that have a lot, on average, and they give towards different things. So not having a lot of income or a lot of money, you will tend to give, on average, to poor people to needy people, to food pantries and that sort of thing. People with a lot of money, what are the top two things that they give to? You can crowdsource this. Shout it out, anybody? 
colleges specifically their own. The, oh, politics, right? Uh, that wasn't in the top two that I saw, but let's say, let's, let's give politics as well. I may have misheard colleges, but they give to their alma maters. And then another one, museums. That's what the rich people give to. So greed is at every level of our society. And do you think that for whatever X you need, once you get it, you're going to say this is enough? And it causes harm. Our greed causes harm. This is a quote that I've used once before in a sermon. Another ancient voice from the church, John Chrysostom, provocative in what he says here. Not from your own do you bestow upon the poor man, but you make return from what is his. He's saying here, your wealth is not yours. This also is theft, not to share one's possessions. The rich man is a kind of steward of the money which is owed for distribution to the poor. Not to share our own wealth with the poor is theft from the poor and deprivation of their means of life. Here's a kicker. We do not possess our own wealth, but theirs. Do I agree 100% with that statement as far as some of the broad declarations about if I don't give it all away, am I actively harming? I'm not sure I do. But at the same time, am I probably blind to the deprivation I cause other people by my own avarice? I probably am. And I'm keeping resources to myself in ways that are harming other people. And at the bigger picture level, there is an interesting call here as we think about greed, about what this looks like for governments and businesses. At what point do governments and businesses become greedy and exploit? These are incredibly complex questions. I don't have an answer to give you this morning, but there are good conversations to be had there. So, for example, when it comes to governments and greed and exploitation, one of the things that different people will balance different ways is equitable outcomes with freedom of self-determination. That's a good conversation to have. And then attention when it comes to businesses and greed and exploitation is that businesses do need to make money, right? Or else they're not businesses anymore. But how do you have a business on one hand that's not greedy and exploits versus one that does? Those are good questions to think about. But to bring it back to the practical level once again, if you have concerns about systems and systemic issues as it occurs with greed and exploitation and that sort of thing, at the risk of sounding too individualistic, I think the best way that you can fight the power and stick it to the man or whatever else is to be generous yourself. For the most part, not many of us have at our fingertips the levers of systemic change, but you can address systemic issues by being part of the supply side and actually being more generous with your own money and stuff. And that would be a really good thing. And I'm going to flirt with crossing the line between preaching and meddling here. But say, for example, you're at a party or a social gathering where everybody's joking and making critical comments about how exploitative and greedy governments or businesses are. And if you go home from the party 
and that warm glow, or if you say something in social media along the similar lines, trashing the same thing that everybody else is trashing, and you feel so good about thinking the right things with the right people and with the right amount of humor and snark, but you're not personally generous? And lowering your standard of living for the sake of other people? That sort of personal comportment is performative and not productive. Are you personally more generous? And I don't see a way, preaching meddling, who knows? I don't see a way for somebody truly to fight greed without actually making steps to be more generous and to give more of their stuff and money to other people. Because if we're not taking that practical step, then it's just in the mental ether for us. And it doesn't actually make a difference. But Jesus, and the way of Jesus, as Paul, as he's saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders in the book of Acts, he references something that Jesus said, simple but beautiful. It is better to give than to receive. That's what the living Lord has said. It's better to give than to receive. So let's uproot here just for a minute. Why is it better to give? Going back to the beginning of our passage, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. In the economy of Jesus, if you lower your standard of living, fight your greed, and practice generosity, it's not just loss, but you receive a different kind of gain. You gain the fruit of being able to say, Jesus, you are enough. And we can all work on ourselves to envision a deeper way of following Jesus where we are able to say, I have less than I would like, but I'm okay. I have less, but that's okay. Not, I have less, and it keeps me up at night, and I worry, and my power, my comfort, my control my approval, it's stressing me out right now. I have less, but that's okay. It's fine because I have a deeper contentment in Jesus Christ. That's greater freedom and wholeness. Years ago, I came across a saying by an actor, an actress, Sarah Bernhardt, who said simply, it is by spending oneself that one becomes rich. It's better to give than to receive. It is by spending oneself that one becomes rich. And it's like, yes, I'll put that on a Hallmark card. But will I give more money to other people? No. Although that's the call. We become rich in that direction. And I believe, and this is where we'll wrap up, only Jesus will get you there at the end of the day. Only Jesus is going to get you there. What other motivation do you have? But in Jesus Christ... The one that commands generosity and demands it of you and me is the one that is completely generous. Take steps of faith to Jesus, whether you come here this morning as deeply committed to Christ or not. Take steps to Jesus according to that creation horizon. Let him care for you. Jesus says, in which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. 
But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. And Jesus, the one that commands generosity, was generous to the point of his dying on the cross and rising again. The Apostle Paul says, For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. How can you fight the disease of more in your own life? How might you untwist? How might you unwrap? How might you grow in being able to say Jesus is enough? And I don't want to sound like a money-grubbing preacher, but I'm also, it would be dumb for me not to give a product placement to our commitment cards. That's a way to exercise generosity. Should you be generous in the local community of faith, the church? Absolutely. Should you be generous beyond that? Absolutely. But whatever it is, set a giving target for yourself stretch to get there and it's like a physical stretch in those moments of stretching and discomfort those are the moments and the places where you cry out for jesus jesus give me faith to believe that by spending myself i know better and deeper the riches that you give me through grace because you paid the penalty for my sin on the cross spend yourself in jesus Unwarp from greed and know greater fruitfulness and greater freedom. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.